Hey, it's Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. My name is Brian, and this is a bonus episode. Uh, It's sort of a crossover bonus episode. Sometimes when we guest on other people's shows, we're able to uh, throw a little bit of that content up on the feed. And just this week, uh, our friends over at Our Nerdiest Thing, a Bookstagram podcast, uh, had me on their latest episode to talk about band breakups. They're reading a book by Tessa Bailey. It is called Wreck the Halls, and it centers around a band breakup. And it, it sounds a little bit like Fleetwood Mac. Uh, the band breakup that happens there. And so they asked me to come on and talk about some of the worst band breakups in history. They, The format of their show is they do deep dives and some research on different elements of whatever they're reading, and they were getting ready to do this, and they thought, hey, we know the guys at Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Maybe one of them will come and uh, and actually take care of this part for us. And so I had an absolute blast hanging out with these three, talking about bad band breakups and make sure you go check out their full length episode over on their feed our nerdiest thing wherever you get this show you can get that show and in just to get a little tease here is uh, the time that i spent with them talking about band breakups on our nerdiest thing enjoy <laughs> but we do have a special guest tonight it's actually brian from rock and roll bedtime stories he asked if he could come on and tell us about the most ridiculous band breakups of all time <laughs> i can't wait to hear this <laughs> Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. That was very energetic. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here. Glad I can bring that out on you, Whitney. Awesome. Uh, So we're we're talking about band breakups. This is like one of my favorite subjects. So we talk about this sort of stuff all the time on our show. Uh, Band breakups are funny things, right? Because they get portrayed in pop culture as these big explosions. My all-time favorite movie is that thing you do. And there's an amazing scene <laughs> where the band essentially breaks up at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Have you seen this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. That movie. Okay, so at the end, he says, the, the manager tells him to play something snappy, and the lead singer, being very petulant, says... I quit and he snaps it right right so like yeah. you always think of like that, that sort of drama being involved in band breakups now that said i think that usually breakups are like these long festering wounds right their relationships falling apart is what's really happening and so there's these long festering wounds that culminate with this amputation and sometimes that amputation is spurred on by this crazy bizarre situation do you like the medical like, this analogy just, sad okay so you're bumming me out man don't amputate my band yeah that's what that's what happens a lot of times somebody you're literally right, gets though. cut yeah. out of the band right so true. so one that does have a slightly explosive culmination uh, a band breakup that i wanted to tell you about is it, it predates rock and roll and and this is we're gonna we're gonna go before rock bands to big bands you you've probably heard the name the dorsey brothers maybe do you, have you ever heard these oh, guys? I'm sorry, my mind went to like ancient Greece and oh no, no, no. loot. <laughs> Mine did too. I was like, was this like pre-recorded music? Was like, well, and then Socrates got pissed and threw his harp on the floor. I was wondering, like, how far back? When? When, when, okay. when was rock and roll? This is great. You're putting in this great is perspective. Our nerdiest thing, Brian. This this drops it only to like the 30s, not like not like the 1630s. We we did do an episode recently about the Zildjian family, who also had a feud, had a big breakup. Oh, like, in the, the family, Zildjian is in like Zildjian the symbols, symbols. Yeah. and they started in the 1600s. And they Zildjian and Sabian are the only are the two main symbol brands now, and they're two brothers who got mad at each other and went and started the other symbols. So <laughs> we lost I thought, Whitney. No, I was when you said symbol, I was thinking like S Y M B O L symbol. So many things to I explain. I knew what you were talking what? about, Brian. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Okay, yeah, this is great. <laughs> explain it to me like I'm three. Listen, this is exactly how our show goes, all right? We let me tell you, I, we got a great review of our show once. It was like this is a four star review and not a five star review because these guys get incredibly off topic. So <laughs> I feel right at home. I feel right at home. Okay, so 
the Dorsey brothers, Tommy and Jimmy, they start playing in regional dance bands when they're like 15 or 16. And in the early, in their early 20s, which is also the early 1920s, they uh, officially formed this dance band and they called themselves the Dorsey brothers. Now, key thing that you probably learned from rock and roll is that, you know, the Kinks, Oasis, the Black Crows, being in a band with your brother, not a great idea. <laughs> I have a brother. I understand how these things happen. There's just these tensions that boil under the surface for a long time. Eventually, it's all going to erupt. So with Tommy and, and Jimmy, years of tensions erupt one night in May of 1935 during a performance at the Glen Island Casino in New York. They're playing this tune. I'm sure it's one of your favorites. It's called <laughs> I'll Never Say Never Again Again. <laughs> they can't agree on the tempo. So Tommy thinks Jimmy's playing it too fast. Now, this is like such a classic brother's thing. You're playing it too fast. Oh, I'm like reminded of stepbrothers. Uh, it can't get him to slow down. And so he famously says something to him like, don't you think that's a little fast there, buddy? And then he just walks off the stage and the band is over. That's it. That's the last From time that? they ever perform? That's the last time oh, they play wow. for, for, for decades. The, the Dorsey Brothers Orchestra now immediately becomes the Jimmy Dorsey Orchestra. Tommy mm-hmm. goes and starts something new. He starts the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra, and this is the fun little, to get our nerdiest things. Here's a fun little nerd fact. He starts focusing on finding young vocalists to highlight in his music. This becomes what he does with the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra. One of these vocalists he finds is this young kid who starts singing with his orchestra, and his name is Frank, Frank Sinatra. Oh. So that is how Frank Sinatra gets started, is because of this breakup of the Dorsey Brothers. Nice. So, uh, overall, band breakups happen for like one of four reasons, right? Sex, drugs, ego, money. Those are, yeah. those are pretty much the reasons. <laughs> that, is, that is it. It's literally part of the tagline of our show. Uh, sometimes it's a combination of all those things. So, in your book, right, the sex is a big part of it. With Tommy and Jimmy, it's definitely ego. Another ego-related breakup that I like, because it seems very unexpected, is Simon and Garfunkel. Mm. So, you two mm. nice boys, acoustic guitar, <laughs> soft-spoken sadness, right? Soft-spoken uh, sadness. Yeah, it doesn't seem like they would they would be... Yeah, they seem so yeah. chill. Like, no, they're, they're not. Also, the Everly Brothers, they're not on my list, but also had major... They were... They did not like each other. So, uh, but anyway, so Simon and Garfunkel, they meet in elementary school. So they're basically brothers, right? Like they've they've known each other their whole lives. I didn't know that. And they, yeah, they start to really get under each other's skin. Uh, <laughs> they're an interesting story all the way around because they they sort of weren't supposed to get famous. Like what happens mm-hmm. with them is in '63, they're these old school mates. They put out one record and it fails miserably, and they go their separate ways. So our Garfunkel goes back to college. Paul Simon goes to Europe to be a an artist on his own, and then. A year after that record comes out, some radio stations, one in Boston and one in Florida, start playing Sound of Silence a year later, because it was on that first record. And the song's producer hears it, and he decides, because he has some rights to it, I guess, to go back and actually overdub a guitar and drums into it, re-releases it to radio. Simon and Garfunkel don't even know this has happened, because Paul Simon's not even in the country, (laughs) and they become an act people want to hear Simon and Garfunkel. So they come back together and are like almost forced to put out a second record because they accidentally but they got famous. still don't like each other. Well, they're friends. They're old friends, okay. you know, it, they're old friends and they have issues and they eventually, uh, what, what, what's really funny about it is this guy, Mike Nichols makes a movie called the graduate mm-hmm. and when he goes back and grabs all these old Simon and Garfunkel songs and he makes this record and it just makes them astronomically famous there is a year at the end of the 60s where for 16 weeks the charts the number one album and the number two album one of them is a simon and garfunkel album and the other one is the graduate hmm. soundtrack uh. so they basically have the top two for 16 weeks that's how big they get they become one of the biggest acts in the world for yeah. a period of time we sort of forget this so 
during this time, you may or may not remember this, a few years later, Mike Nichols decides to adapt the Joseph Heller novel that you might have read at some point in high school or college, Catch-22. Mm-hmm. It's a big, complicated thing. He, he tries to make a film out of it. It's a famous film story, too, because it doesn't go super well. But he creates a, a role in it for Paul Simon and for Art Garfunkel. And then there's a certain period where, like during this time, the Simon and Garfunkel are having their own arguments all the time. And they get news that the uh, guy who's been writing the script has decided it's too long. And he's cut a bunch of scenes. Mm. And they are all the scenes that Paul Simon is in. <laughs> so they get this call and it's like, Paul, you're not in the movie. But not- Art, we need you to come to Mexico to shoot mm. the movie. Oh. So they also have a new album that they're supposed to be putting out. And this is the album that will become Bridge Over Troubled Water. And so <laughs> this is often pointed to as the thing that officially breaks them up because Art takes the movie and Paul gets left behind with his jealousy and rage. But the best part of the story, and that makes me laugh, is that Paul is pissed that art has gone to mexico and abandoned him and he does what all pissed off songwriters do he writes a song he wrote a song yeah. about it he yeah. writes my favorite simon and garfunkel song the only living boy in new york which for years i never paid attention to the lyrics you ever <laughs> listen to the lyrics of that song this is literally the lyrics of the song get your plane right on time i know your part will go fine fly down to mexico here i am the only living boy oh in new God. york it's literally about how mad he is at our garfunkel There's and if you no heard it subtlety at all it's a beautiful <laughs> it's a beautiful song it's a beautiful song i love that song uh, okay so there you go. Uh, the Dorsey brothers break up over a song. Simon and Garfunkel break up over Paul not getting his movie role. And the irony is that the record they end up creating, like I said, Bridge Over Troubled Water, it's their biggest record. Yeah. So, well, and, and Paul Simon goes on to have like a pretty decent huge career. Solo career. Yeah. And, and it's funny because our Garfunkel tries to be a film star and doesn't do a great job of it. He wins a Golden Globe at some point. Like he actually does okay, but he like none of us remember our Garfunkel as a an actor. As an actor. No. But Paul Simon ends up winning. You know, if you're going to win, Paul Simon wins this. But Bridge Over Trouble Water wins for both of them. Grammy Award for Album of the Year, Best Engineered Recording. The title track wins Record of the Year, Song of the Year, Best Contemporary Song, Best Arrangement Accompanying Vocalists. Hmm. All of that. Six Grammys. And I point this out because the last story I want to tell you is similar. It's about a very famous band coming together. They're at their wits ends with each other, and they're simultaneously making a master work, and that is Hotel California, mm. the Eagles. Ah. You probably you might have seen this coming, because the <laughs> Eagles are famous. They'll let you know how acrimonious things get when they end for the Eagles. The comeback record in the mid-90s, you remember what it's called? Hell froze over. Hell freezes over. <laughs> and that's why it's called that, because one of them famously said, we'll get back together when hell freezes over. If you know much about the Eagles, they famously take turns doing lead vocals, right? Don Henley, Glenn Fry, Joe Walsh, even Timothy B. Schmidt. They all sing at some point, but Don Felder is their guitar player, and he doesn't sing much, and he feels a little left out. So while they're making this, he brings, they all write, too. So he brings this song called Victim of Love, and he's adamant that he wants to be the one to sing it. So the guys let him do it in the recording session, and they're all listening back to it. These are actual quotes. Glenn Fry has said on the record, Don Felder, for all his talents as a guitar player, was not a singer. And Don Henley has said, he, quote, simply did not come up to the band's standards. So things are getting so... Harsh. (laughs) So tense between them that Felder leaves the studio and goes to grab dinner with their manager and they delete his vocals and Don Henley re-records them. Oh, damn. (laughs) (laughs) And this 
pisses him off. But well, the yeah. but so this actually doesn't break them up. So they stay together, but it just gets so bad, bad yeah. between the rest of them. The the actual thing that breaks them up doesn't happen until 1980, and then the fireworks happen. Right. So this is the amputation that y'all came here for. So <laughs> the culminating event that breaks them up is July 31st, 1980. They are, they are playing a benefit for California Democratic Senator Alan Cranston in Long Beach, California. And Felder's not happy because this idea to get into politics, guess whose idea was? Don Henley and Glenn Fry. Hmm. And he's been calling them in front of them the gods because they make all the decisions for the band. And he's real pissed about it. So before the show, they meet the senator. We, we've talked about this on our shows. We did, we did an episode on our show about how people hate the Eagles and uh, and you hear stories like this and you understand why so they well it sounds like the Eagles hated the Eagles <laughs> the Eagles hate the Eagles too but so they meet the senator and he goes around the room you know it's oh thank you thank you thank yeah. you so he gets to Don Felder and he says oh thank you you know and Don Felder looks at him and goes you're welcome senator I guess <laughs> and Glenn Fry is pissed as soon as Cranston leaves the room he just goes after him right rips him a new one but then they have to go on stage mm. and he doesn't have it out of the system so it continues on stage and he gets on the mic only three more songs till I kick your ass pal and they count down <laughs> on stage how long it's gonna take for him to get in a fight and as wow. soon as as soon as it's over that's the last show they play until 1994 when hell freeze is over did they fight uh, I, that's a great question. I don't know if they physically fought or not, but that that breaks the band. Deb, up. snitches get stitches. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no one will ever tell. <laughs> so those are some pretty dramatic, crazy yeah. breakups. Yeah. I, I thought you would enjoy. Thank you for letting for letting me. Thank you for being That was awesome. So can I? I know this is a book podcast, mm-hmm. and you guys talk about books, and this book Please. is great. I'm really excited. I actually want to read it because I, I heard what it was about. Uh, a couple of great. Rock and roll books. If you've read this and you want to read other ones, uh, Daisy Jones and the Six. Obviously, have you read that? I've read that. I have. Okay, it's great. It's really excellent, but it's also like in this. You know, it's this same thing. It's like in the seventies. It's Fleetwood Mac ish. There's a there's a great book that is called The Unraveling of Cassidy Holmes, which is about a member of a girl group in the nineties. And the breakup of that group. It's all fictionalized, but it's loosely based on like a Spice people girls. you'd all remember, uh, the Spice Girls, the Pussycat Dolls. Hmm. So uh, that's a that's a really good time. The the unraveling of Cassidy Holmes. Daisy Jones and the Six, I'm pretty positive, was inspired by a Fleetwood Mac uh, performance where Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks are like on the mic together, all up in each other's faces back when it was good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We have a great episode about Fleetwood Mac. I listened the, to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Whitney, aren't you going to talk some about Fleetwood Mac tonight? I am. I'm really excited about that. But first, let's thank Brian for joining us from This Rock was fun, Rock guys. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Thank you so much.